Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the epic narrative. And the story continues. So here we are, still in Genesis 19, still talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Last time, uh, I spent a lot of you know a lot of time kind of talking about the visitors, how they made a change in the atmosphere, and the offer of rescue that they had. Now we're going to kind of continue that theme, and we're going to go in a little bit more on what the quote you know sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is, not necessarily to beat you know, the dead horse, but to change some perspectives on what it was, because it gets so, it you know, consistently labeled as homosexuality. I mean, even, even the sin of, quote, sodomizing somebody, right, comes from that perception that this was all about having men having sex with men. Sorry if your child is listening. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to cross that line without a warning, but that's not what it's about. It's not. It's not what it's what 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 it's about. We'll get into it a little bit here in a minute. Let me read a few verses and then we'll move on. So we're in Genesis chapter 19. We're starting with verse 12. The two men said to Lot, "Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, sons or daughters, or anyone in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against its people is so great that He has sent us to destroy it." Now. I know, I know that's what it says. I know that's what it says. And there are people who, you know, are who are yelling at their phones or their devices going, see, Bob, God does destroy the wicked. No, the wicked destroy the wicked. The people who observe what's going on think it's, think it's God. Because when you're involved in wickedness, <laughs> there's no way it's your fault. Part of the wickedness is you're a victim Somebody else has to be doing this. And if and if the evil one is doing this, what's his number one characteristic? Deception. He knows how to do, how to deflect responsibility for things that only he has authority over. I know, I know. I know it's a I know it's hard. I do know it's hard. Because you read verses like this and you're like, "There, see, the angels are saying God's going to destroy it." I believe the angels are saying this is what's going to happen. We are trying to let you know. We are trying to let you know. Now, who are they? They are they are men of God, right? They are angels from God. So when they say the city is going to be destroyed, people who are writing this down, people that are recording this are going, see, God is trying to, to destroy us. We tried to kick these guys out last, last night, and God blinded us all. God destroyed uh, uh, you know, our ability to make a living. God destroyed our ability to see, um, you know, our family, to see uh, my my new daughter. Like there was, everybody was blaming God for this, which is not unusual when things go crazy because of the sin that people have committed. Everybody, not everybody, a lot of people often want to blame God because at some level they want to be a victim of their circumstances, a victim uh, that is uh, not responsible for the choices they made. They're not responsible they don't want responsibility. We'll blame this on God. If you've ever been around uh, leadership that doesn't want responsibility for the choices they made, so have I. You know, it's not unusual. Lots of people like to be the victim. They want all control, all authority, 
but then they want to share responsibility. It's, you know, everybody, we all made this decision. It's like, no, 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 you did. You made this decision. And the results of the of the decision are the results of the decision. Like, you need to deal with it. And that's kind of where God is on this. He's like, hey, you made the decision. I'm, I'm down here with a rescue plan. Everything about what the angels do here is about a rescue plan. It's revealing what sin is bringing and res- and rescuing anybody who who can, who they can. They plead with Lot. Do you know anyone else? Sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, anyone in the city who belongs to you. And that's more than just re- related to you. They're saying, is anybody connected to you in any way? Anybody under contract? Anybody that you own? Anybody that you that's related to you? Anybody that will listen to you? Anybody that you've taught? Or, or discipled, or interacted with, anyone you can go and plead with, get them out of here. This place is going to come down. Not because of God's will to destroy people, but because the results of sin is always death. And that is clear all throughout Scripture. The city's voice, remember, not the people's voice. The people were crying out because of sin. Creation was calling out because of sin. Creation was was groaning. And the Lord, Lord comes down. If you remember his conversation with Abraham, he's like, I need to see this. I need to see if there's anybody there I can partner with in order to rescue this place because sin is calling out to me. The sin of the city is calling out to me. The city literally is calling out to me. This gives me hope for a lot of our cities and nations, and and countries around the world. Creation does cry out to its creator. And when when it calls out, it calls out one for a rescue plan because it knows destruction is coming. And the only one that will send a rescue plan is God because he's good all the time and all throughout time. God hears the voice of the city in its distress. And where did this distress come from? Well, I think greed was really its core quote, sin. One of the laws of the city of Sodom is that only wealthy were allowed to live in it. It was, it was, it was, uh, <laughs> there was, there was actually laws that, that they have found written in archaeology. There was a law in Sodom and Gomorrah that made it uh, against the rule. It was against the law, I should say, against the rule. There was a law against the rule. Bob, speak clearly. It was against the law in Sodom and Gomorrah to feed or to help the poor. You couldn't feed or help the poor because if you weren't wealthy enough to live there, you weren't wealthy, you you were not allowed to live there. You had to you had to live outside. There was no sleeping in the square. Like they did not have homeless communities hanging out around the central square, around the main well. Uh, you know, they did not have people begging for alms. They didn't have the crippled on the side of the street near the temple of whoever it is they worshipped, uh, you know, begging for help. All of that was illegal. They were all, usually, if you tried, if you were poor, if you managed to get into the city and you got to the central, you know, you thought, maybe I'll just crash here for the night. It was Basically, the law allowed for you to be raped, beaten, 
and tossed over the wall. This is what this is what the leaders of the city were doing at Lot's house the night before. They were basically obeying the law. They were following through on the rules that they had implemented. Remember, Lot pleaded on the on the you know with the men on the basis of hospitality, the rules of hospitality. These these men are under my roof. They're under my protection. Leave them alone. And they were like, no, you can't. You are a foreigner. You can't be here and then and then be our judge. In other words, you can't be here and tell us how to operate under our law. This is our law. Any visitor that doesn't have sure signs of wealth is kicked out. And we have the right to rape them, abuse them, beat them, and toss them over the wall. That's what we're here to do. It had nothing to do with sex. It had all the thing to do with domination, control, and from their perspective, keeping the city from, from uh, any loss of wealth. The only way to get in the city was to bring more wealth in. If you couldn't bring more wealth in, then you were raped, abused, and thrown out. So the, so the way that Lot greeted these two guys made everyone incredibly curious because they wanted to know, who does Lot know with, with more wealth? Who, does, who is Lot bringing in the city that is going to enrich us? Who is Lot having for dinner that would, that would bring benefit to all of us? And when they did their investigation and they determined that these two guys came in essence out of nowhere and with no resources, they were like, they, then they got it. We got to kick them out. Lot is a foreigner. Lot is not welcome here. Well, Lot like, no, either he needs to conform to our laws or we'll, we need to do to him even worse than we do to the visitors. And that's the, that's the, uh, the trajectory of the negotiations that Lot started outside of his house while the two angels waited inside. And the trajectory went downhill really fast and Lot realized that he had no authority and no political clout. And the men, you know, were struck blind, not because God was trying to, to uh, uh, you know, in any way uh, abuse them, but because God was trying to get their attention. He was saying, listen, listen, Pay attention. Bad stuff is happening. Lot has two very powerful people in, in his presence. And they're here to rescue you. So the next day, Lot runs out. Verse 14, he goes out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry the daughters. The daughters that no one wanted because no one was interested in the daughters and working out any sort of trade deals with Lot. They wanted Lot to be conformed to the culture and to the laws of the of their of their city. And Lot was in rebellion against it by having these visitors in his house. And they were like, no, this is not about trade negotiations. We want to control those guys and toss them out of the city. And then we're coming for you because you are a foreigner. You don't belong here. In other words, we're kicking you out too. We'll toss you over the city wall. We'll toss all of your belongings over the city wall. Lot was in a tough spot, a really tough spot. So he runs. He runs to his sons-in-laws and he says, listen, who who clearly were not part of the party the night before because they were not blind, I, I'm guessing. He's like, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. So here's, here's a, you know, Lot, right? He had, he had negotiated himself a pretty 
sweet little little world down there near Sodom and Gomorrah. Over time, you know, his trajectory of life had brought him much comfort, much joy, much laughter, much riches. He had much influence. Like he had, he had a nice little run going. And then in one night, he in essence is put into place real fast. Real fast. You're done here. We're going to make it worse for you than ever. Give us those two guys, and then we're coming back for you. So now he pleads with his sons-in-law. Because he's like, listen, bad stuff is happening. Trust me. I've got two very powerful people of God in, in my house. And they have made it clear that bad things are going to happen to the city. We have to get out of here. And they laughed at him. Literally, the, the concept here is they treated him like a clown. They see Lot as a joke. Now, in seeing him like a joke, in that phrase, they laughed at him, is the idea that that they agreed with the basically with the with the political leadership of the city. Lot was a foreigner. Lot really had no rights in the city. They allowed him influence because of his wealth, and wealth was king. Greed was king. Selfishness was king. Control was king. And Lot gave people uh, the opportunity to make more money, therefore gain more control and be more greedy. And Lot was always seen as the outsider. Especially if Lot ever brought up the fact that for a long time in his life, he followed this one God called Yahweh, creator God. So Lot didn't bring up religion. Lot probably went through religious um, activities or celebrations there in the city. He made himself part of the culture. And they all appreciated it, but they didn't follow it. They thought he was a joke. And he goes to his sons-in-laws who were pledged, obviously, to his daughters. And he says, "Let's, you know, can you go with me? Please come with me. Now, this is probably where Abraham's concept of, you know, 10 righteous people, 10 people that follow you, 10 people that are influenced by Lot. Like, there has to be at least 10 people. He stopped asking God after 10. And I think it's because he either thought Lot better have been doing something good down there or, or you know, I cannot believe that Lot hasn't influenced at least 10. He probably thought that Lot should have had at least 50 people that followed him, 50 people that, quote, belonged to him. But the idea that he would have less than 10, like that was that was beyond Abraham's concept. And maybe in his own way, he thought, well, if he's got less than 10, then then he like he deserves what's coming. I, I know that's horrible to say, but but there are people who feel that way when it comes to your, their connection to God. They feel like, you better deserve what God sends you. I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to tell. I do know the pattern and, and rhythm of the, of his of his conversation with God, and it very much was around the concept that God would have kept going if Abraham had. That's the pattern that's there. And Abraham stopped. And here we see him trying to bring influence on two people, two people that in concept belonged to him. They were promised to his daughters. They were called sons-in-laws already. And they see him as a joke. Verse 15, with the coming of the dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, hurry, take your wife, take your two daughters. So that's four people that are here with you. These are the ones you do have influence over. 
get out or you will be swept away when the city is punished. He's like the earth is the earth is crying out. The sin has brought destruction on this on this place. This is if you don't get out now, man. If you don't get out now, like you, you this is now it's your choice. Get out or die. It's 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 your choice. Do what you want. You can die with these people or you can live somewhere else without them. And that's honestly, you know, for a lot of times when we read this, we think, "Oh, that's an easy choice. You know, these are these are wicked people, horrible people. Get out. I, I'd run in a minute. No, you wouldn't. At least a lot of you wouldn't. It's tough to walk away from people, even if you think that they're bad. You have experiences with them. Lot's had, uh, I don't know what, 10 years of interaction with them. I know, I know this sounds terrible. I have, I really have a nomadic life. I really do. I, I can't, I just can't get away from that mindset. I don't know why. In my, my heart, I want long-term community. And my, re, my reality is I have long-term friends from all over my journeys, but I've never stayed anywhere more than eight years. It's, it's crazy. I mean, even now, even now, and I'll probably update you on Bob, on Bob thoughts as, as we go along, but I, it's just, I don't know. I really don't know uh, how it all works out. But here's, a, you know, here's Lot. He's established himself. He's got a couple daughters. They're getting married. Uh, the family's growing. They've got a nice place in the city. They've got a huge tracts of land outside the city. Lots of influence. And God says, get out, hurry, because it is about to go down. So he hesitated. Verse 16, when he hesitated. So I know Lot's wife gets a lot of like, I don't know. Uh, preachers use her as an example of like what not to do, right? You'll be turned into a pillar of salt. But Lot hesitated. I don't know if it was while he was running or, you know, was he in the house and he's looking at his stuff going, all right, what, what do I take with me? What do I take with me? What can I save? What can I rescue? I know for a lot of us uh, that are older, like we used to always save the photos. Like that would be the first thing. If there's a fire, I'm grabbing all the family photos. And and we're kind of, uh, you know, in that hybrid state, right? We We have photo albums from when our children were little, but, you know, we haven't had a printed photo in years because it's all saved on the cloud and in our phones and, you know, and then you lose your phone or your phone goes in the ocean or something and all the, you're, like the worst thing for a lot of people is all those photos, all those videos of the grandchildren, all the, you know, the wedding pictures that I took, they're all gone. And that's why so many like automatically upload them into the cloud. So eventually somehow, some way we can get there and, and see them all again. It also means that we take way more photos than we ever would have before because we used to have to get them printed out and it costs money. And you had, you know, this is the this is the crazy part, right? For me anyways, this is the crazy part. You had no idea if you took a good photo until you got them developed. Like now, you know, I take like whatever, six shots of my grandson, you know, running through the leaves and then I review them. Ah, trash that one, trash that one, trash that one. Ah, those are two awesome ones. Oh, look at his face, like, that one gets posted on the on the on the inter, internet, and everybody's like, "Oh, you know, your grandson's awesome. What a great face!" I'm thinking, yeah, 
Well, it took, you know, seven shots, but yeah, it's good. Whereas before it took, I, I had one shot, you know, one chance. And there was somewhat of a, somewhat of a challenge. Like there were, there were people who could always seem to take a good picture. And there were those who just never seemed to get it right. Heads were cut off uh, or, or <laughs> like the hair was cut off. The, the forehead was there. The, uh, you know, somebody at the end didn't quite make it in because they fit in the viewfinder, but not actually in the lens. It's, or you just, well, you press down on the button, but in pressing it down hard enough to cause the shutter to move, right? You would, you would shake the the camera. So then you'd have a fuzzy picture to be like, oh, this would have been a great shot if I hadn't moved the camera. Anyways, all that to say, Lot didn't have photos. So clearly he wasn't pausing over that. (laughs) I just gave a great example that had nothing to do with the story. Well, other than the pausing part. So whatever it would have been, in Lot's life. For me, it would have been photos. In Lot's life, I don't know. I don't know. It could have been clothes. It could have been could have been gold, silver. Um, you know, I, I, geez, I don't know. But he paused. And I assume it was in his house. He hesitated. The men grabbed his hands. They're like, Lot! And they grabbed his wife's hands. And... The two daughters. So the the two angels grab all four people and start running. They lead them out of the city for safety. So let's you know, well, uh, let, let me let me keep yeah let's keep reading. They brought them out of the city. For the Lord had, was merciful to them. Verse end of verse sixteen. Verse seventeen. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, "Run for your lives! Don't look back." Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. Like you need to move. This whole area is going down. And Lot said to them, no, my lords, please. Your servant has found favor in your eyes and you have shown me great kindness to me and and spurring my life. But I can't flee to the mountains. This disaster will overtake me. I will die. What is he talking about? (laughs) He's just everything. I don't Well, I'll, I'll keep going. Look, there's a small, sorry, I know, I want to explain every verse. Let me get through the whole thing, and then I'll, then we'll walk, walk through it slower. There's a town near enough to run to. It's small. Let me flee to it. It's very small. Then my life will be spared. They said, all right, very well. We'll grant you this request as well. I will not overthrow the town that you speak of, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. That is why the town is called Zor. And by the time they reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land, and the Lord rained down, burning sulfur in Sodom on Sodom and Gomorrah. For the Lord uh, out of heavens, and thus he overthrew the two cities in the entire plain, destroying all living things in the city and all the vegetation of the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. And early next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the to the place that he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward the end of the land of the plain, and he saw the dense smoke rising up from the land and the smoke from the furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought out Lot out of the catastrophe that he overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. So that last verse basically says the reason why we're rescuing Lot is not because Lot was righteous. Remember, he went down there. He's like, I'll rescue it for 10. I'll rescue it for nobody. He didn't even save Lot because he was was righteous. He saved Lot because he was a friend and a relative of Abraham. He's like, I'm going to save the, you know, the, the relatives of Abraham for no other reason than I like Abraham. 
So Lot's on his way out of the city. He's getting dragged or run or led out of the city. Look at the actions of the angels. And for me, every action that they show us here is that they weren't there to destroy the city. God was not there to destroy the city. He sends Lot to warn the sons-in-law. Now they look at it as a joke, I understand, but that's still a major action. He's like, take anyone from the city who belongs to you, anyone that you have influence over, tell them to leave the city. Lot only has two people he can think of. Then they lead, and some of the language would say they transported Lot and his family out of the city. And then they worked out an alternative plan to, uh, to save you know, an outside, an outlying uh, village slash city. They, remember, he was like, run to the mountains. Like, please get as far away as you can. And Lot's like, I can't, I can't. I, I can't run that far. You know, I'm old, I'm tired. I'm, uh, uh, I'm going to be overtaken. If you try to send me into the mountains, I'm, I'm going to die. So they're like, okay, where, where, where do you want to go? Well, he's like, there's this village, like, right, uh, you know, basically we can almost see it. If I can get there, he's probably thinking, I have connections, I have friends, I can get to Zor, I won't die, and, you know, they'll, maybe they'll lend me some credit, and I'll be able to survive, and from there, maybe I can go see Abraham. And they're like, okay, we can figure out a way to save that city. I don't know if they put a dome over it. I don't know if they put a wall up around it uh, uh, on some sort of spiritual level, but they were like, yes, we can work out a way, an alternative plan to rescue you, and we'll save that city. See, this, <laughs> this is the heart of God. He holds off the destruction that is clearly coming because of the sin of, of the city, of the greed and the, and the selfishness and the, the, the inhospitable world that they had created, in which they wouldn't even take care of the poor and the needy. They had nothing available. They, their only goal was to abuse anybody, rape people, control people who didn't bring them more wealth. They were so selfish and so greedy. They were so anti-culture of heaven. They were so, they were so blinded to their true identity of creatures of light from a creator of light. But in all of that, everything, every, you know, these, these angels, his representation on this, on this planet in this moment was to save, rescue, uh, delay, find ways for people to get out. And the angel says, all right, go. We won't over, you know, overthrow the town to you, to, that you speak of. We will protect it. That's what that means. But get there quickly because I can't hold this off forever. I can only hold it off until you get there. So by the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land, and then sulfur and lightning and fire and the cities and the entire plain, everything was destroyed. All the vegetation was covered in ash and destruction. And Lot's wife, looking back and turning into a pillar of salt, is been explained, you know, several different ways, uh, but mostly people explained it geologically. Like, like she, she was, uh, you know, hit with this burning sulfur from the tar pits exploding, some sort of earthquake that billowed smoke up into the up into the sky, and lightning, 
that was caused to the uh, like again science has had all kinds of fun with this you know lightning was caused through the g uh, through the chemical reaction of the sulfur hitting the moisture of the sky and the clouds forming and and lightning striking and and it was it was spectacular and i don't mean that like in a like it was fun but but watching what happened to these to this plane watching what happened to these cities the destruction that occurred it was spectacular and lot's wife looked back and her looking is that of of longing it's that of i don't want to go on without without what's here and i don't know if she fell in love with the city life if she fell in love with the riches if she if, if she had no hope the fact that her daughters were losing their husbands that that her husband was losing all of his wealth i don't know but but something in her said i'm not I'm not going to be rescued. I don't want to be rescued. I want to die in this place. And she did. There's actually a, uh, you can look it up. There's actually a, uh, a stone pillar of, of, of whatever in the plane, in this plane. And it's called Lot's wife. And they, and it, and it says, you know, she turned into a pillar of salt. And again, people don't know if she turned into actual salt that she turned into, white ash and she looked like salt but a lot of us think salt looks like uh white because that's what we grew up shaking out of our shakers but of course sea salt looks much different it's you know it's white it's gray it's black it's all combined uh so did she look like that whatever it was she whatever she turned into she died there she died there longing to, to be with the people that were being destroyed. So there was, you know, because we know that there was tar pits, again, that the geological heat was available, uh, fire and brimstone, right? The fire indicates lightning. Um, it caused tons of smoke. It was, yeah, it was probably pretty awesome. So it's morning time and... Abraham gets up and he looks out to the place. He goes to the place where he and the Lord had had a discussion. I'm guessing that, remember, he had walked along with the men. And in his walking, he'd come to a place where I'm guessing he could kind of see the pathway down toward these cities. I mean, it was miles and miles away. But he went to that place again where they had that discussion. And he looks out and he sees just dense smoke rising up from the land. And he's like, wow. Wow. There wasn't even 10. That's what I'm thinking he's thinking. There wasn't even 10. He doesn't know if Lot even made it. He didn't get a memo. He didn't get anything. He's just looking out over the plane, and he and he's like, wow. Now, God knows that he brought Lot out. He knows that he saved Lot because of Abraham. But he didn't say, you know, he couldn't save the cities. The city kept cho choosing not to be rescued. All those men that had been blinded all had a chance to have, to have repented and changed their perspective. All of them could have said, you know what? We should treat visitors with more respect. We should treat the poor with more respect. We shouldn't be as greedy as we are because look at what's happened to us. But instead, they pressed on with their passion for, for more, their, their greed and their selfishness. They didn't go home that night and change their ways. They went home that night passioned for more destruction of Lot and his family. 
So the next day, the next morning, it was early morning, remember? Early morning, before the dawn. Lot's running around the city trying to trying to get his son, sons-in-laws to follow him out of the city. And they were like, no, you're a joke. No one believes, like, no one, no one believes you. You're a foreigner. You're not from uh, from here. We don't actually honor you. We don't respect you. We let you in because of your money. We're taking your daughters because it allows us to set up trade routes to enrich ourselves. We we can care less what happens to you and your family. We are going to be fine. I mean, Lot had to be so rattled to his core emotionally by the time uh, those guys rejected him. From the night before his activities, from his understanding that bat, you know that that the city was going to be destroyed because of its greed, the fact that he had entered into that greed, and then when he's told to run to the mountains, he pleads for you know as basically as a victim. I I can't I can't do what you tell me to do. I I need another way. And what does God do? He's like, okay, I'll find you another way. I'll protect that other little city. We we will. We will, you know, we we will do what we can to get you out. For the sake of Abraham, we will get you out. And yet there he is. The next morning, Abraham's looking at just smoke billowing off the plane, and he has no idea if his if his uh you know if his nephew's alive or dead. But he does know there wasn't even ten people in that city that Lot had influenced in the ways of righteousness in the following of Yahweh. And it had to be a pretty sad morning for Abraham. Now, we will uh, <laughs> we'll discuss on the next round what happened with Lot and, and his family. Oh, man, the story just keeps on going. All right, I'll see you next week on The Epic Narrative, everyone. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. It, well, Bob, what are you thinking? I don't, I, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, it's, I'll tell you some of my thoughts. I listened to today's episode and I listened, you know, to last week's and really we started this quote, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah like three weeks ago. And I do, as I've mentioned before on <clears throat> these recordings, I, I think that the Epic Narrative podcast is unique in that we really do uh, draw out, lengthen the opportunities for um, the details and to really evaluate the details without the agenda of, I've got to get through this message in the next 30 minutes or some only 20 minutes. Some have 45 minutes. But even so, without, without, without slowing things down, we don't get the opportunity to really look and see what I think is significant in that we see that God wanted to rescue Sodom and Gomorrah. It's it's far uh, easier, I guess you could say. It's uh, yeah, it's just easier to look at the uh, the the verses and draw conclusions and then preach a sermon that gets people all fired up about your particular take or your particular. Uh, position regarding, uh, we'll call it uh, personal <laughs> personal choices. I, I don't know. It, there's just so many ways to go, right? Because you got Lot's wife and her and turning around. You got you got uh, you know we. 
I think often what is is missed is that whole waiting period of of Lot. Like just, just I think at some level he he was devastated. He didn't have more influence over anyone, including his uh, son-in-laws. And then, and then he was he was also I think uh, devastated, hurt, confused by his desire to actually want to stay and maybe even die like I, I at some level he had to be depressed looking around going this is this is what I sold out for like I spent all those years with my uncle being taught about Yahweh worshiping Yahweh I walk away from all that which we dealt with I don't know five six episodes when he walked away how in, how um, intense of a word that was that it was more than just the fact that he traveled away but actually walked away from everything that Abraham had been talking to him. So he's like reevaluating everything. And I think at some level he was thinking, I just want to stay, like, just let me die. And he's literally dragged out of the city-ish by the angels. And even then he didn't want to go that far away. He was like, I can't, I, 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 my life will be over if, if I go too far away. And they make those arrangements. And, you know, you've heard the episode. <laughs> I don't need to I don't need to recap the whole thing for you but but wow uh I I love what we do here. I I love doing the epic uh narrative because it gives us such an amazing opportunity to walk this out slowly, to look at the details. And I hope at some level you guys evaluate the way that Sodom and Gomorrah has been portrayed. I'm I'm amazed that more people haven't um, haven't done the homework to see that homosexuality was not what God was down there to destroy. And not, well, first of all, I don't think God went down there to destroy anybody. He went down with a rescue plan. But the sin that brought about death to Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality. I'm not saying it wasn't occurring in the city by any means. I think it's been a, you know, in society for <laughs> a long time. But, uh, but the, the 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 arrogance, the the hatred of the poor, the lack of uh, the lack of love for anyone who wasn't wealthy or could bring them wealth. Like it was, it was, that's, that's what opened them up to death and destruction. That's what, that's what gave the enemy uh, a full on highway to bring about death. And when God saw what the enemy was going to do to that city, he sent his angels down and he was like, Hey, find lot and let him literally let him take anyone he wants out of the city. God was not looking to destroy people. I know, I know, I covered that already. Anyways, I know some some of my thoughts, some of this hesitation in my in my head is like, how deep do I want to go? But but I do think sometimes people, when they're presented with this kind of opportunity to reevaluate the way in which God has been portrayed in the Old Testament. It goes counter to everything they've been taught, but they haven't actually personally studied. So that you're asking them to make this huge, huge shift 
in the way that they the way that they perceive what they believe to to be true about God. When you believe that God will wipe out your enemies, you feel really good because I'm sure in that belief system you believe God is on your side and therefore he will destroy everybody else who isn't part of you. Who doesn't believe like you? Who doesn't who doesn't, you know, do what you do, behave correctly? Like there's all kinds of ways that you can look around and go, yeah, yeah, God's on my side on this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. God's doing this. Yeah, I'm going to, you know, sick God on them. I'm going to I'm going to whatever. And and you you literally have created a god that you use like you control him and that that's that is a that is a crazy place to be rather than god's love controlling you and influencing the world around you you're saying no i'm going to control god's god's death and destruction and i'm going to call it out i'm going to i'm going to direct the path of god to destroy other people or to destroy a denomination or to destroy a government. It's, it's, it's a crazy path to be going down. And yet many of us have, and I say us because I, I live there. I preached this. And that's sometimes where some of my passion comes from. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm in essence yelling back at myself. Like the, the concept that I, that, that, you know, that, that God was like this, that I would preach, you know, God's for us, you know, let, let my enemies be destroyed. It's, that's a tough, that's, that's, uh, that's wow. I mean, how, how inappropriate to control the love of God by saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sick you on, on these guys, on this person. It's, uh, it, I think it deserves to be reevaluated. That's what I think. And I, Hope that the epic narrative gives you that opportunity and gives other people around you the opportunity to hear maybe some different perspectives to say, all right, is this really, is this really my belief about God? And what does that mean long-term? What does it mean logically if I believe this to be true about God? I spoke to a, a young man, honestly, he's awesome. He's like 17 years old. I just feel so uh, honored that he like reaches out to me. So we were talking about whether or not God kills and, and we had a really good back and forth about it. And then he brought it up. He goes to a, a, a Christian school and there was a guest speaker there. So he, he brings it up to the guest speaker and I got to give the guest speaker credit. He engaged with, with this 17 year old. But it was, it was, uh, you know, he he had he had trouble, he had trouble believing that God doesn't kill people, and and I know that's a radical statement. It's radical in that it it blows people's minds. They don't want to consider a God who doesn't kill, and yet, as you know, if you follow the epic narrative, we keep finding out that that the translations of those words don't don't always line up. They don't always line up. That God, it, it keeps looking like God loves people. It keeps looking like God comes down to rescue people. It keeps looking like God wasn't out there to destroy the world. And I know, I know a lot of you are like, well, what about Exodus? Trust me, that's season three, and I am, <laughs> I am in the middle of it. Oh, man. 
season three is going to be a lot of fun. All right, listen, those are, I've, I was all kind of scattered today. I hope you guys are having a great day and, and you're willing to come back again next week and listen to another episode of The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. Bye.